entering advertising is no easy task. We've heard entrance stories from double AEs, copywriters, lecturers, recruiters, community managers, CEOs, and interns. All of which have had wonderful advertising stories that we can all learn from. But take everything you know about advertising and media and put that on the back burner. In this episode, Brian Breaker breaks down his journalism career. Brian recently moved on from his three-year position at AdAge, where he took a 90-year-old brand and hit the Benjamin button, modernizing it in so many ways. He was the host of the AdLib podcast throughout his time at AdAge. Brian has interviewed all the big-time advertising CEOs in the game. You're going to freak out when I tell you the list in the beginning, so you got to stay tuned for that. And I've learned so much from the guy that influenced me, and I hope you do too in this episode. If you find anything interesting or useful, please give this podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts. Heck, even leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at EnteringAd, and you will not be disappointed. This is the Breaking and Entering Podcast, and as usual, I am your accomplice, Gino Schellenberger. Kick it, Mikey. Brian Breaker, welcome to the Breaking and Entering Podcast. Just saying that kind of makes sense, you know. It feels like it's tailor-made for me. I'm ready to do this. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. I first off, huge fan of your work. Um, definitely would say the ad lib podcast when you were on it was a main influence for me to start this podcast. So thank well, you that's for very, that. Very flattering. I don't know whether to be flattered or to apologize, but uh, <laughs> it's nice to flattered. hear. <laughs> definitely flattered. I, you know, just the amount of work you've done uh, to our listeners out there. I want to name some people that you've interviewed um, that I've listened to and I've scrolled through earlier today. Uh, Jeff Goodby and Rich Silverstein, Mark Reed from WPP, David Droga, of course, uh, Andrew Robertson from, what is that, BBDO? BBDO. Uh, very, Dave, very stylish gentleman. Is he? Yeah. He sounded great on it. Uh, yeah. That sounds awesome. David Angelo from David and Goliath, of course. Richard Edelman, my guy uh, from Edelman, uh, Alan Hatch, Deloitte, uh, Elaine, or no, Alicia. My handwriting was bad. Mm-hmm. Alicia Hatch uh, from Deloitte Digital. Oh, yeah, Alicia, yeah. Erica Nardini, that's this. Uh, that's the CEO of Barstool. I'm sure the college listeners know who that is. Uh, yeah, it's a tough brand these days, that Barstool. Yeah, they're all, yeah. We won't go too much into that, but, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, John Seifert from Ogilvy. These yeah. are huge names and some people that I wish I could interview and I aspire, um, you know, I, I aspire to be like you. So once again, thank you for getting on. I want to talk about your journalism background on this episode. Sure. You're our first, uh, true journalist to go on this show. We've had advertisers, we've had CEOs, we've had, um, media folk. So, uh, you know, just can't wait to talk about your college story, mm. your the plot points of your career so far and the lessons from it, how you got to ad age and started this amazing podcast, uh, you know, and you're the do's and don'ts yeah. basically that you've learned from your career. Okay, let's do it. Cool. So 
let's kick it back to what year is it? Let me check here. 1992. Yeah, ancient history. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that's five years before I was born, but we're not. Oh, gonna... God, don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about, uh, you know, you were, you were a student at University of California, San Diego. You yep. studied French and English American literature. Am I correct on that? You are correct. Yeah, I started college in, in 92. I graduated high school in 92. Okay. Uh, grew up in LA, went to UCSD. Uh, I actually, my first major was in communications and I changed it um, because I didn't couldn't really articulate what communications meant as a major. Uh, although it was probably, I mean, everything worked out, but I, I probably would have been more fun to stick with it and ended up doing sort of a dual major in French, English, and American literature. Um, mo mostly because uh, I wanted an excuse to study abro abroad my junior year and go to live in France as part of the, the UC system uh, study abroad program. And so I did. So there was a direct uh, program that you were trying, you had your eyes on, you wanted to go to France. Yeah, and yes and no. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's, oh, I, it would be hard for me to say that anything I did back then was deliberate. It was sort of really haphazard and, and what the whims of the moment dictated. Um, I had a, early in my career, like my first journalism job, I had an editor who I very much admired and looked up to. Um, all my best bosses were women, by the way. Uh, and she said, um, I had no plan, but once you get to a certain age and she must be about how old I am now, uh, must have been how old I am now. And she said, you, you know, you look back and you kind of see, oh, there is sort of a path, but when you're on it, it's just, you know, you're just, you're just going sort of blindly. Um, so I would say I never, I never had a plan and I still, don't, <laughs> still don't. And so what do you say that like, I've always kind of, I, I I wanted to have a plan and I still have a general plan, you know, like a five-year plan. And some people are against it. Some people are for it just to keep I'm, you I, level, yeah. but you don't have to stick with it completely. No. And I, I, I admire people who are more planful, which is not really a word, but I admire people um, who, who create plans and stick to them. I think, um, you know, once you, if, I mean, this is a cheesy, like Instagram inspirational quote, but like, if you have, if there's something you want to do is just a dream, but if you set a deadline, it becomes a goal. And then if you assign yourself steps to get to that goal, it becomes a plan. Uh, nice. and it's, it's a, it's, there's a way to turn dreams into plans. I never did. Uh, but I would, I, I would, I would say, or hope that I'm, at a place in my career and my life where I am, uh, I've learned the hard way, the benefits of making a plan because I could have, you know, for whatever I have or have not accomplished, I probably could have gotten here sooner than I have. So I'm all for planning. Gotcha. So when you were, you know, before study abroad or, you know, in college, what were those things that you were involved with that kind of got you on the right track or, you know, indicated that you wanted to do journalism? What were those big? That came later. Uh, actually, it was a total fluke. Um, so I finished grad. I finished uh, UCSD. I was actually a year uh, younger than all my fellow students. I don't know the exact reason why, I, I, but I started school early. 
Um, I think my parents wanted to get me out of the house. Um, I so I I was young when I graduated college, and I sort of panic applied to grad school. Um, I had done my year abroad in France, and so I was like, "Well, I guess I'll go uh, for international affairs," without really thinking it through, or you know, allowing myself to go out into the world and live life before I figured out what I wanted to be. I applied to grad school in international affairs. Got in and went to George Washington University mm -hmm. uh, in D.C. and I did a two-year program in on um, in international affairs with a sort of dual focus on uh, the formation of the European Union, European issues, and international human rights law, which actually was really uh, sort of a momentary passion point of mine. Um, and uh, uh, journalism came much later. I, I was. Uh, I did. I, by the time I finished my master's, I was about the age that most people are when they finish grad school, uh, undergrad, um, just because uh, I rushed through it. And then, uh, then I really had to figure out what to do. Uh, and I did some um, intern internship type work and research type work at, at a couple of human rights organizations uh, at the Foreign Service Institute. I thought I'd. I'd tried taking the foreign service exam, which I did not pass, but I, uh, I failed the, the psychological makeup portion of it. Um, and I, uh, um, what else did I do? I, I temp, well, I, t I ended up temping in the temp agency after, you know, a couple DC is a really interesting place to temp. And one of the places they put me in was the marketing department of the Washington post. And that was my introduction to a newsroom was mm -hmm. when I had finished my master's in international affairs and I was a temp in the marketing department at the Washington Post. And I said, right. I think this is where I want to be. <laughs> right. And I, you, I, I just want to go back because you mentioned yeah. you did a full year abroad. Yeah. That's unusual. That's usually, well, not, yeah, I would say that's unusual. It's you unusual. But... One semester. So what made you say, I want to do a full calendar year. Well, I, in high school, I had done, um, uh, I had done a summer, you know, I'd done two summer exchange programs. I did one in Belgium and one in France. And both of those experiences could easily each take up their own podcast. It was so, so pivotal. Um, and I really found a place where I wanted to be, which was Europe. And, um, when I got to college, I was sort of an un unhappy young person and, and no, no matter where I was, I would probably find fault in it, but I wasn't, didn't love college my first couple of years. And, and then that's when I, you know, I got sophomore year, you, you apply for the study abroad program. Mm -hmm. The university of California system has a very robust study abroad program that does do full years. So there was a big group of us who are doing, who are, who did it. Mm -hmm. And I, it was just me looking for a place to be that I felt like I was, you know, more engaged and, and challenged and, and, um, and was able to sort of, I, I don't know if it's thrive or, or what, I mean, I, I just was never like, I felt like I, was in a place that felt like my place until I, uh, weirdly was in France. And, um, 
I knew that I wanted to study abroad for a year. I knew I wanted to try that as an experience, as a challenge. And, you know, as part of the program, you enroll directly into the university. So I was in a French university with nice with French students my age, uh, taking literature and and it was uh um it was wonder it was wonderful. It was probably it was the one of the best years of my life. And you know, I met a I met a French girl, I had a relationship with her and and that was a defining relationship in my life. And I was by the end of the year totally fluent. Nice, but I'm not anymore, <laughs> well, <laughs> which sucks because it's. I used to have that muscle, and that muscle is completely atrophied. Yeah, I'm use totally, it, I'm it. totally rambling, and I'm sorry, no, but no, I appreciate. It. I think it, then I guess so. That's that's very interesting. You know, I, I never did the study abroad experience. I wish I did. I was supposed to. Uh, things came up, but I think it helps. To, I think it helps to be ha be sort of unhappy at home, and I and I was sort of chronically unhappy at home. Um, emotionally, how can you be you know, unhappy in San Diego? Uh, San Diego is a very bland community. It's very actually conservative. Um, there's, there are army bases or Marine bases at Camp Pendleton. There is a very right. religious community. Yeah. And it's wealthy and white. And I grew up in a wealthy and white, uh, community and it was, uh, and it, it was just anodyne and antiseptic. And so was my sort of you know, benignly neglected childhood. I just wanted, I just was, I was just chronically unhappy and, and I felt just thoroughly charmed, uh, in France. And, and I wanted that in my life. Yeah. It sounds like an amazing experience. Um, what? and you probably grew so grew so much from it. Yeah, um, I grew and I grew so much hair, but no. And when I came back, I was like, I, I realized that my unhappiness you know, it's cliche, but it sort of stemmed from within. It didn't have anything to do with where I was, but sort of who I was. So I was able to uh, really enjoy my senior year in San Diego. So um, yeah. there was that. Nice. So you applied to grad school pretty, you, you, that was, that was it. You were ready to go. You rushed into it or not rush. You were. No, I rushed into it. I was not ready to go, but I rushed into it. And, and were you not ready to, or what was your thoughts on the job? Like the job world? Did you, did you I didn't want to apply or what was, you know, thought? this was, so I, I, I graduated college in 96. Uh, I had no idea. You know, I had a degree in, in, um, literature. I had no marketable skills. I was sort of vaguely in love with this French girl who lived on the other side of the planet. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to work at a supermarket or whatever. I probably should have, you know, I actually did in college, my sophomore year, I worked in a like convenience store. I, I, I was probably too arrogant. I probably thought I deserved a better job than I did at that time. And then there was just nothing available for me. So I, and all I knew was school. So I figured school would, was safer. Um, and my parents were willing to assist mm -hmm. as long as I stayed in school. Um, and so I did, I think my motives were wrong. Um, but the outcome was certainly uh interesting i lived in dc ended up living in dc for four years uh and yeah i did the the masters and still didn't know what i wanted to do which is why i ended up temping and right. um ended up where i did so the washington post 
yeah uh your attempt there how long was that stint and what'd you do how long was that stint i was in the so i was in the marketing department of the washington post which is not the newsroom but what it does is uh you know this the post is a big underwriter of the script spelling bee or at least it was that you know the na national spelling bee um so there was some element of that uh like organizing and helping admin work for the spelling bee they, it was sort of this the speaker's bureau of the post so anytime someone wanted you know tony kornheiser or howard kurtz or ben bradley or whoever to speak at their event the marketing department would arrange for that um and that's what took me into the newsroom initially was setting up these speaker engagements uh with with post journalists and i would be down in the newsroom in the pit it looked like it did in you know all the president's men uh, <laughs> which is an amazing movie if people haven't seen it i recommend it and i felt like i i was in a part of living history and i would see the people at their little desktops and then the next day i would see their names on top of stories that influenced policy and culture and i really uh wanted to be a part of that and 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 you did not want to continue the marketing route no i did not <laughs> yeah got yeah. it um that's so cool and you know you so you that part of an internship i think today with students is it's great because you can figure out what you really love to do and what you really don't want yeah. to do and that's just as important so kind of with that temp uh job you've realized hey i don't want to go down this marketing route but i want to be i want to get those bylines i want to yep. get featured yeah i think that's fair and i'd always you know going back to when i said i graduated with no marketable skills i could always write always that was the one thing i could do i sort of understood language innately i knew how to craft you know compelling or at least uh engaging or readable prose which is um strangely uh rare these days and you know i'm not um melville or anything but um i i could always write and um that so was your marketable skill that was that was my marketable skill and i didn't realize it at the time but it ended up it ended up working out okay so like this light bulb kind of went off and you're like okay i yeah I, this, is, this is something i can do yeah i distinctly remember like so i so so the job opened up on the in the newsroom for very entry level zero journalism experience required just basically sort of a data entry job there they had these little zoned editions so like the washington post was the washington post but they had like a different metro section for suburbs of maryland and a different metro section for the suburbs of virginia and each of those metro metro sections had calendars in it so i was just entering calendar info and my, you know the deputy metro editor at the time when he hired me was like you have a master's in international affairs you you know you've done stuff at human rights watch lawyers community for human rights why are you doing this why are you interested in doing this job at the metro level and i was like well i i want to be part of like the process of making this paper and he said well you're not a you're not a reporter you're not going to be a reporter you don't just start being a reporter Ooh. and i was like yeah okay but when i went was doing these 
calendars for Loudoun County, Virginia and Leesburg, Virginia and, and, and Southern Maryland, I would see things in them and I would pitch little slice of life color pieces to the regional editors. And they were like, yeah, come on out to Loudoun County, cover this like weird, uh, you know, poetry group or bluegrass jam session or whatever it is. And I'd write it and it would appear in like a far flung edition of the paper. And I would start getting bylines and it. And, and, that, and the second I wrote my first one it was, I was hooked. I just wanted to, and, and they weren't hard news. They weren't, they were fluffy and they were kind of silly. Um, but you know, I almost took the, you're not a reporter statement as a, as a challenge to become one. Um, and I sort of did, uh, and then, but they wouldn't, they would never hire me as a staff writer until I went away and got experience somewhere else, um, which ultimately I had to do. Wow. So you took the challenge. Yeah. You made it personal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of like how Michael Jordan would to, he would take these stories and, or what people would say and make it personal and prove them wrong. You're like the Michael Jordan. I'm I'm not anything like Michael Jordan. <laughs> um, it, it wasn't even that personal. He's like, you're not a reporter. You can't do this. And I'm like, well, I can do this. I read what I see. Like, I remember distinctly they had a feature writer on staff and I would see her sitting at her desk. And then I would read her story in the magazine, Washington Post magazine or in the paper. And I, and I was like, I can do this. There's no reason I can't do this. And I even told her, I was like, I want to do what you do. And she said, it took me years to get here. Good luck. And I was like, I don't, I don't buy, I don't buy it. Like if I can do it, I can do it. And I started doing it on a very small scale. And now looking back, I was way in over my head and, and not actually as good as I thought I was. Um, but that ignorance is bliss thing allowed right. me to to gain some experience. But when you so you went up to these people and you you showed interest in other departments, and and, and from my experience in internships, they're pretty welcoming to that. If you yeah. go to a strategy section, uh, you talk to a strategist. Hey, I want to be involved in a project. They're like, sure, come to a meeting. You can you can shadow, see what it's about, uh, and you can slowly kind of form your own role as an intern, as it should be. But yeah. So you didn't have that same experience. They were kind of like, good luck. Yeah, um, you know, it's like I was a bad boy for the New York Times. Yeah, for the for sorry, for the New York Yankees. I'm mixing my mouth. Like it was like mm -hmm. I was on staff, but I wasn't part of the team. So I wasn't an intern. I was, right. you know, I was the guy who like cleaned up after the place and like and and um so there were one or two people who encouraged me. I I but but over the overwhelming response was like these are this is like this is the major leagues and you've not even been to the the minors i'm not even a sports person i don't know why i'm doing sports metaphors <laughs> all of a sudden no it but, makes sense uh but like you haven't paid your dues and i didn't believe in the notion of <laughs> paying dues if you thought you were good enough and that and and i'm actually and now and now that i'm in a stage of my career where i've been a manager and i've seen people uh, I'm not going to use the M word, but uh, I've seen younger people uh, believe that they are more qualified than they are or more entitled than they are to um, a bigger gig or more uh, more challenging work. Uh, I, I see myself in that a little bit. And, and I also 
still not convinced that you need to pay dues, but you also, you need to learn the craft for sure. You don't need to suffer needlessly, I guess is what I'll say. Yeah, but you, you, you kind of proved yourself with those pitches. You went out and you did it. Yeah. And I, and I, and I did find a sympathetic editor or two, one specifically way out in Loudoun County, Virginia, which is like an hour's drive away. Um, and, and she's like, keep going, keep doing it. Pitch me anytime you want. She was very nice and encouraging and she was a good editor. Uh, and, um, I learned more from her than almost anyone, almost anyone. And, uh, but when it was time for me to ultimately it was time for me to not be there anymore if mm -hmm. if i really wanted to be a reporter or a journalist i had to i had to i had to do my time in the in the minors so to speak so where did you do your time where did you go to get more experience so i was so i was at the time living with a, a woman uh and she got into grad school in um in she went to school in cambridge <laughs> she went to um uh the kennedy school and uh uh i and she was and we were in a relationship and living together and she's like i'm i'm going to cambridge and i and my job had hit a dead end one of the things i was weighing was a uh, um going back to la where i grew up and there was a position possibility there but i always sort of being a very hopeless romantic follow my heart and i went with her to boston and just started pitching people and and having clips even if they're from podunk virginia or maryland having clips with under the washington post masthead is very meaningful when you leave mm -hmm. dc and you go to boston and you're like look i wrote these little featurettes for the washington post um and that opened a lot of doors and I was freelancing for a long time. I was doing stuff. For, I, I got in at, at, Brook, at Boston Magazine. Uh, there was a community newspaper company which owned a whole series of suburban newspapers around Boston. And I started working for papers like the Needham Times and Newton uh you know the Newton newspaper and going to zoning board meetings and like actually learning real reporting getting to know town council meetings counselors going to town hall meetings and 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 seeing real community discussions hashed out in like things like where the stoplight should go where you know the noise complaints at, at a certain neighborhood like real community news newspaper stuff and 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 when i was doing that i was like oh yeah i didn't have any idea what i was talking about when i was at the post um trying to get a job i you know i didn't didn't know anything about like just the inner workings of small town america and um how policy got made at a local level and it was fascinating and it was and it was great so i did that uh for a while i was um ultimately was staff writer at the Needham Times, and then I applied for a um, applied for an internship at Newsweek magazine and Columbia Journalism School at the same time, and I got both. And Newsweek said, "Well, you can do your internship at Bo in Boston, so you don't have to move, and we'll pay you." And that was more compelling than paying Columbia to go to journalism school. So I I stayed in Boston and did a internship with Newsweek.
Cool. I want to break something down. You, yes. you, you kind of mentioned that you had like this masthead from the Washington Post in your portfolio, let's say. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the term is in journalism, but we'll say portfolio. That works. And your clips. You show, <laughs> clips. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, you, you show these clips and you know, the authority the Washington Post had kind of impressed the Boston magazine. So yeah. that authority kind of got you in that door. Uh, so should students today, um, whether they're in journalism or advertising, should they start off at a larger agency uh, mm. with that authority just to get their career going? It doesn't hurt. I, I mean, I don't know. It was a different world in 1999 or 2000 or when I was 20 years ago. Um, so I don't, I don't know that the same applies today. Um, I, I, it doesn't hurt to have the big name on your resume, but I feel like every like genetically modified student who has the perfect pedigree and the perfect school background and the perfect internship resume are a dime a dozen. Um, in a way that they, I don't think were before. Um, but, uh, I, I, it doesn't, obviously it doesn't hurt. I think what, what matters is who you are as a, as a, as a human, when you interact with people and you know, the quality of the work, no matter where you go, if you go to a really big name place and you're not doing anything, then you don't really have much to show for it. Um, Whereas if you go to a smaller, more nimble, if we're talking marketing or advertising, you go to a smaller, more nimble shop, you can probably actually get your hands on the work and do stuff. And I think that's ultimately more meaningful and helpful than just having the fancy name on your resume. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Obviously, it helps to have both. Sure. Um, and, you know, everything everyone says about, like, networking with alumni, like, you know, you know, it, it helps to... every Every job I've gotten almost is because i've known someone um you know i really had a hustle early days but like ultimately you do your rolodex builds and you get to know people and like people think of you and like you your reputation is is as important as the quality of your work and who you did it for um if you're if you're a jerk people will remember that um so uh, you know it's a long way of saying I, I don't know. It, it all depends on, on who you are and what you want to do. It doesn't hurt to have the fancy places on your resume, but I think the most important thing is cultivating meaningful relationships and doing good work. Yeah, everywhere you go. So no yeah. matter where or yeah. what the size of the agency or the place you're at. Correct. Love that. So let's, uh, let's continue. What are some of those? So you, you have the Newsweek magazine internship. The, let's i want to go more into the like so what are these major plot points now um so that like, is a major that is a major plot point like bo moving to boston was one it was like okay i'm uh I, i'm at a, a dead end at the washington post uh either i move to boston with my girlfriend or i move right. back to la uh and i don't want to do that um so i moved to boston and then i like just slugged it out for a while and then the 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 newsweek internship ended up being a big thing because that was um first of all it was a tiny office the editor was uh the the bureau chief would end up being a major major mentor in my career and he he was amazing and uh kind and generous and um uh, introduced me to scotch which nice. i 
I don't know if that's a good thing or not at this point, but um, he, uh, uh, that was, so that, that was great. I, and the work I did on that internship was great and it was meaningful. I got bylines in the national magazine. It was amazing. And then 9-11, and then the, then 9-11 happened. And um, my internship was technically over. I was back to freelancing, but on the morning of 9-11, when we realized something horrific was happening i called my the bureau chief his name is mark star um he uh because in part because a obvious major lifetime event was happening but also because there was a boston angle which was that one of the planes took off from logan airport uh so i called the bureau chief and i'm like look i'm not i'm obviously not there at the moment he's like get to my house right now uh so i went to his house and he's like you're going to logan airport and you know survey the scene canvas report so wow. that was a major turning point and then i and i kept on working with newsweek and helping them sort of chart out the um trajectory and the boston the trajectory of the hitchhikers and the boston angle i don't think i did anything truly meaningful reporting wise but i was working on it and i was learning how did that um, feel when he said get to my house now i was i was like okay yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm on my way uh I mean, he and he was like Go. trusted you and he yeah. knew you were the guy for the job so well yeah and i got there and there was another more seasoned reporter sure. there and he's like you two go to logan airport we went and like you know the airport was shut down and it was and they had vacated it and we were sort of like skulking around and it was a uh, uh it was a, it really intense and 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 weirdly i mean it was horrible um but to be able to play a role that you believed could potentially be meaningful in that day was uh made it sort of worth worth pushing through and, and and exciting if it's that's you know you want to take a terrible thing and but be able to do something positive with it was uh th there was a lot of adrenaline um but anyway but so like i stuck around it, it, it with newsweek as a as a freelancer after that as stringer from for new england and then my my girlfriend who finished grad school at that point um which was its own great experience. She went to the Kennedy School during the Bush v. Gore election, and I was at, you know, I was there for that, and that was fascinating. And then we, she got a job in New York, and I was like, okay, well, we're going to move to New York. And I started freelancing for Newsweek in New York, and ultimately got hired. So that Newsweek internship, after a couple, a couple, maybe a year or two, finally yield became a job where I was for seven years. It, the longest job I've ever had. Uh, so I was there from uh, 2000 as staff from 2002 to 2008, 2001 to 2000, if you include the internship. Mm -hmm. So I was there for about seven years. Yeah. You love to hear when an internship all pans out to a, a full time job. Well, they did this thing where like, yeah, they would, they would extend the internship and they were notorious right. for that. They're like, okay, you're still, you're an intern and we are grant. We're they're almost like knighting you. Like you were extending the internship. It's a way for them to get cheap labor without paying That's insurance tough. and all that stuff. And it technically not super legal, but they would do that over and over again. Like you're extended, you're extended. I'm like, can I please get a fucking job? Mm -hmm. And then finally, finally it happened. And that was great. That's crazy. They just yeah. kept extending it.
Yeah. I hope they don't do that today because that would that would make me mad. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it made me not thrilled. Uh, but well, at least you uh, stuck with it and it, it worked out. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess it worked out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, the job they gave me was at the Newsweek Online, which was a, a still even in 2002 relatively new idea, and it was a actual uh, evolution of their CD-ROM division, uh, which is kind of hilarious. Nice. When you think about it now. A little bit of history. Yeah. And because it was Newsweek Online, no one on the magazine print side of things cared what you did because they didn't think the internet was important. So, so at this point, you you're all in on journalism. Did you have any like long term goals at this point? Where you what were you aspiring to be? I uh, I think at, at a certain point, I really wanted. There were a couple of writers that I really admire and I still do. Um, and I was like, I kind of want to, I want to be like them. One is a, uh, uh, Dan Barry, New York times, who is sort of like the roving correspondent, um, who covered real people, real America, real stories in a, in a, in a gorgeous writer. Um, uh, Hank Stuver at the Washington post who wrote wonderful culture pieces and was very funny. Um, and I'm reaching back in my mind for more names like that. But like there were people who wrote pieces that had voice that was not about them, but it was, it had a clear voice and they were writerly, but they weren't fiction. They were heavily reported and they were true. And they were, and I was really enamored of the idea of, of, because I was terrible at fiction, uh, I sort of tried it a little bit, but I was ultimately bored by fiction because reality is so much more interesting. And if you can take true stories and tell them in a really compelling way, um, that to me was the the goal and and amazing when well executed. But I um, um, but I didn't have a plan. Um, the goal, if I could turn myself into Dan Barry, that would have been amazing. Um, yeah, you had role models, people that you aspired yeah. to be like, and that was kind of like your North star. You kind of want to navigate towards. Right. And those were all guys, those are all guys who had been in the game for like 20 years at that point, but like mm -hmm. they earned it or you know, at Newsweek, there was this guy, Jerry Adler, just, a, and he said, I think he's a, the daily beast now or still Newsweek, whatever Newsweek is these days. Uh, it's gone through like four ownership changes, but Jerry Adler was incredible. David Gates at Newsweek was incredible. A guy I worked with, Malcolm Jones, who became a mentor of mine of sorts, was incredible. Um, you know, yeah. yeah. I think it's important that you find those role models or those people you aspire to be like. Yeah. And I will say my, and I did say earlier, like I realize I'm rattling off a bunch of names and none of them are women. Um, uh, about back in, in, at the post, Allison Howard, uh, was, a my early mentor and she was a fantastic editor, a wonderful writer. Um, uh, Deirdre Depke hired me at the, uh, at Newsweek as a, uh, um, when I, when I went on to the website and she was, uh, 
uh, a, certainly a colorful manager, but also very kind and generous uh, to me, especially when my first kid was born. Uh, she let me take a lot of time off and was very empathic. And, and um, so there, uh, there are ladies too. <laughs> of course, of course. I think of it's course. so refreshing. It's refreshing to hear about you know the, the journalism world, and you know I'm not I'm new to it, and this is yeah. like my first like lesson in it. So hearing about this is so interesting to me because I I haven't really studied this, I haven't really networked in this realm. So I I, I like that we're talking about all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, I, well, yeah. I mean. Uh, to the extent, I mean, to the extent of my experience is valuable. Like again, the beginning of what I was saying, like it was very, you know, I, I was very jumping from lily pad to lily pad without a clear trajectory of where I was going. Um, uh, and I, I hope I picked up nuggets of wisdom along the way, but um, who knows? I'm still making stupid mistakes. But you know, Newsweek was the was definitely a defining period in my life i moved from boston to new york and i was there until 2008. yeah and then after that i see you know rolling stone magazine yeah uh i it was what i thought would was my dream job i'm a music junkie and uh i you know, even in even in 2008, Rolling Stone had, you know, it was a little dusty, but it was still an iconic brand. And I apply. That's one where I applied and I and I wrote a, uh, a couple of stories for them um, as part of the application process. And I got it. And I feel like I earned that on my merits and I was nice. incredibly proud and very excited. And I was there for two months before uh, Jan Wenner executed his first ever round of major layoffs because the entire com economy collapsed. Um, so it was a brief run. Uh, they, it was an exciting run. My first week there second week there they sent me to london um to wow. to do a profile of the kaiser chiefs i don't know if you remember them uh, and i went to abbey road studios and i met lily allen and it was an incredible experience and and uh but the actual work environment at, at rolling stone was incredibly awful it was just a toxic kind of newsroom very um cult of personality uh, and, um, ultimately, you know, I would have liked to have been there longer. I was surprised to be let go, but a lot of people were. And, uh, I look back at that brief moment, but pivotal moment, um, with mixed emotions. How long did it take for you to realize when you walked in that this is a toxic environment? Was it like the first day or did it take some time? I think the prime example was that. Well, first of all, it's a magazine that came out every two weeks, but people were there every night until 9 p.m. at least. I had a wow. young family. Uh, I, there was no, absolutely no reason to be there till 9 p.m. Gotcha. Um, except did, when did you they were, make you stay till 9 p.m.? Or was it, it was like, like a, there was definitely like, a, the culture. It was the culture. Like, oh, you're leaving like, at five. If you, yeah, if you left at six, so how dare you? Um, wow. There was that. There was. Um, uh, the, the big, big moment for me where I was like, you know what? No, thanks. was the night that Obama was elected and, you know, a massively historic event. I was working on a story that wasn't going to ship for another 
at least two, three days. Um, but my editor was there and he kept on kicking it back to me and kicking it back to me. And I'm like, you know, we were stone, we were near Rockefeller center and you can hear people cheering in the streets. This was a, a national moment of bonding and jubilation. And I'm working on a stupid fucking story. That's not even due for two days. And I'm not really allowed to leave the office for absolutely no good reason. It was like this macho do the work thing that was ultimately meaningless. And I got home, I was furious, furious. And when I was, you know, I don't, I never expressed that. I was too scared to, I was, you know, I was too scared to lose a job that I ended up losing anyway, because everyone lost their jobs in 2008. But, um, it, it was, a uh, a real bummer of a, a moment. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there was a lot of frustration. Yeah. And but it's probably it was cool. It was cool. It was cool to say that I wrote for the, you know, Rolling Stone and they, they kept, you know, I did some freelance for them afterwards. They kept me around a little bit. That relationship sort of fizzled. Um, uh, I think there was a mutual like, yeah, don't call me. I'll call you kind of feeling after a certain point. Um, and then that, you know, kicked off a period of, uh it was a tough that that kicked off a tough period in my life and career for like you know i was sort of marginally employed for a year doing a lot of freelance work and contract gigs and you know ultimately it took a year to get a job and and that was uh an abc at abc news and it was kind of an overnight job but was worth it for its own reasons you said abc news was that that's was where yeah that yeah, it was, uh, I was the overnight homepage editor for ABC News, which was the umbrella site for all of their news programming, like, uh, you know, Diane Sawyer, Barbara Walters, Nightline, 2020, um, uh, um, GMA. Nice. And yeah. that was a short stint. It was a year. All my stints after that were roughly about a year uh, until Digiday, which was four, and Ad Age, which was three. Tell me about Digiday. What do you want to know? Like <laughs> you were an executive editor, I see. Yeah, I so I was what there. What is that role? Entail? So I was actually, I had done as I, I had done a a, a run at Ad Week, uh, mm -hmm. in in two thousand whatever nine ten, uh, when Michael Wolf was editing it, and that was a an interesting moment in Adweek's history because Michael Wolf had never really had a day job before, much less run a newsroom, and he was running it in the sort of Michael Wolf image, and he's a, a real like uh, sort of iconoclast in journalism. He's a he's a very polarizing figure. He's sort of a performative asshole, but he's also brilliant and uh, really not as nasty as his Twitter account would suggest and kind of a lovely guy. Okay. Uh, uh, although, you know, maybe not, I don't know, not, not to everybody clearly. Um, but so I had done the stint at ad week with, with Michael Wolf as the editor. And that was, that was a good experience. Uh, he was fired and then ultimately I left and he helped me find a job after that, blah, blah, blah. Um, but at, you know, ki kicking the can down the road a couple of years, I was at actually a parenting magazine and I was laid off when, uh, the magazine was acquired by a competitor and they shut it down. My, my career is basically a series of getting laid off and ultimately landing somewhere, um, slightly better, 
and then getting laid off again. Um, but it's crazy. I, and uh, you had your spirits were high though. I mean, yeah. were there times where you're like, Oh, like I should change careers. Should I look into something else? Well, that's that way. I mean, we can fast forward to now if you want to do that, but, but yeah, after, after I was laid off at parenting magazine, this is where digital comes in. Uh, I got a call from the editor there, Brian Morrissey, uh, who was, who spent, many years at ad week before i got there we never overlapped but he had i guess heard good things about me and he's like i heard you got laid off i'm looking for an executive editor at digiday i was like i've never heard of digiday he's like i know maybe you can <laughs> maybe you're gonna help me change that and i was like yeah let's do it and i was there for like four years and i think that brian is a it was really a visionary and very um had a clear a sense of what he wanted to do and what he wanted to make and i think he made something really uh interesting and and compelling for the industry and it was a new voice and i i sort of helped him do the day-to-day -day. he sort of set the vision and i executed on a daily basis and was sort of his you know i was his ed mcmahon to his uh, johnny carson <laughs> so, um so definitely a huge role at digiday um you spent three years there almost four four years four years, four years. Four years. Yeah. and when you left there how did that happen uh i was i was headhunted to be the editor of adage uh so i was uh, reached out to that, by how it. does that work you know do they what's that process like are they reaching so i i um you know i sort of kept up my uh linkedin page and you yep. know i was no i guess known in the tiny circles that i worked in as the executive editor as as digiday um ad age i didn't even i guess i sort of knew they were looking for an editor but i didn't really think about it um and i got called by a recruiter saying like hey we have i have a client who's interested in talking to you about a position would you like to meet for coffee you know, and I always take those meetings. I had been at Digiday for four years and I was starting to get a little like, what's the next thing? Because I'm not going to replace Brian. Brian's Brian. Um, and uh, so I met for coffee and they're like, Ad Age is looking for a new editor. And I was like, I'm way underqualified. There's no, absolutely no way. <laughs> like that's a, first of all, it's a dusty old rag. Uh, it's like old school trade. Uh, I, it's stale it's i don't know i don't know that much about advertising i know more about publishing and media and they should hire a, they should hire at least a woman or certainly a woman of color if they want to be relevant uh and they're like no they want to meet you and um you know my the, you know obviously i was tickled and it was uh you know flattery is the best weapon i guess i don't know um i so i was uh I met with the publisher a couple times and they ended up extending me an offer and I was scared. I felt underqualified. It was daunting. And, um, and that's why I did it because I didn't know if I could do it. And I knew I could keep being the executive editor at that age. This was a totally new and terrifying challenge. <laughs> um, and, uh, so I, I tried so and I was there for, I was there for three years. What are you most proud of of that three year stint at AdAge? Um, I uh, on a personal level, I learned I learned a lot. I learned a lot about 
just the business of a of a magazine. Uh, I learned a lot about the industry of advertising and marketing. I think I was, I'm proud of the relationships I was able to to make and and sustain beyond ad age. Um, uh, have some great um, both acquaintances, useful contacts, and made some great friends. Um, I'm proud of bringing the voice of the publication and the brand into the into the 21st century. I think it was dusty. I think it was stale. They were aware of that. The publisher uh, hired me because he wanted to modernize the voice and he was working on a, a design rebrands. And so we did a full top to bottom, new look, new feel, new sound, new voices, new uh, points of view, more aggressive, more, um, more of a, a conversation starter as opposed to a conversation repeater, you know, fewer press release stuff. I mean, I did inherit a newsroom of very talented journalists uh, and they cared passionately about doing good journalism. And I was hopefully able to encourage them to do that good journalism, but also make it more um, vibrant and engaging. Uh, launched some podcasts, got more into video. Um, so that's a long way of saying and won some awards i think it's a long way of saying I, I think what i'm proud of is taking a uh a, a, taking a 90 year old brand and making it feel a little younger yeah i mean it absolutely seems younger i just it, it's just a cool site to be on thanks for, for our industry um i i mean i had the pleasure of leading a small student agency. Um, one of my first uh, objectives was to get a subscription that we can all use. <laughs> <laughs> we shared a single account, but it worked. And yeah. I shouldn't have said that, but um, no, we, I mean, I think we also had student uh, mm -hmm. accounts that, or yeah. whatever. If you had emailed me, I would have probably just given you a code. Wow. Well, <laughs> Maybe we could still get that going somehow, but um, <laughs> so cool. I mean, so what, I mean, with the podcast and, you know, modernizing the, the 90 year old to, what is it? hundred years old or 90 uh, year old brand. You know, what are, what are those efforts that you did? Well, you, so you did the podcast, you made videos, you, you changed the voice of the, of the publication. Yeah, and I and one of the things I pushed for, I wasn't the only one, but one, certainly what I had learned at, at Digiday was, you know, it, it's useful to have events are until until the coronavirus events were a very great way of uh, generating extra revenue, and a lot of publishers figured that out. But um, until you know, my second year there, our events were we had like two very very big events. What is that? The uh, small agency well, well no that was like a that was like a good example of a medium size event we had like oh, our right. we had our awards show the the gala the a-list and creativity awards oh, yeah. and we had the digital event at the end of the year which became next which became like what's next in you know uh everything what's next in procurement what's next in what's next in um e-commerce what's next in cannabis what's next? blah 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 and there was not it wasn't focused it was everything um and it was 
three days and multiple tracks every day and it was too big um so one of the one of the things i worked on with the team was making it a more we did more events which was taxing on the reporters because they also had to contribute to the events but um more targeted specific smaller shorter uh topic specific events so you know let's just focus on one thing go narrow and deep and uh we'll get a smaller audience but we'll be able to do it more often and charge for it i mean that's a small pivot but it, it was meaningful in that sure. we were able to have increase the number of uh interactions that we had with our audience and 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 expand that audience and deepen our relationship with them so um so that's another example of i guess a thing that that we all did uh that was new after i got there nice can i ask you some podcast questions totally. of my yeah. own interest how did you prepare for like these big interviews what were what was your steps uh it depended on the guests and it depended on the week um but it was generally like it was like uh, reporting a story. If you, if you're writing about someone, you you do a very deep clip search, and well, you know, first you first you land on who you think is going to be interesting, and like after the podcast game momentum, a lot of people would pitch me guests, and a lot of those pitches were garbage. So you had to like sift through the like, I don't want to talk to that person. I don't want to talk to that person. I don't want to talk to that person, and then. Um, you know, you would also identify the people that you did want to talk to and you'd reach out to them and say, like, I'm doing this podcast that has, you know, this kind of following and um, would love to talk on, about this, that and the other topic. But then you, you know, once you have someone locked in, whether it's, you know, um, you know, Martin Sorrell or Cindy Gallup or whoever it is, you like spend an hour going down um, a deep, rabbit hole of clips and reading everything you can get your hands about them, especially current news. And you just sort of, and you also listen to other podcasts that they might've been on and you yep. sort of take, uh, uh, pull out little nuggets that they say and like follow like, yeah, I heard you once said this thing. Can you elaborate on that? Or like, why did you say this? Or, you know, don't be afraid to ask, the questions that you think are hard or scary or critical because these are people who are professionals and and they know um they know every bad thing that's ever been said about them and you can just say like well some people say this terrible thing about you like what's your response i mean obviously yeah. you know you you know you cushion it between two nice questions and it's a you know it's an art form but you spend like an at least an hour just doing a deep dive in the clips and then pulling you know mm -hmm. pulling out tidbits and ask and backwards engineering questions and reading quotes that they've said recently and um you know hopefully you have an understanding of the zeitgeist of their industry at the moment and, and can pull in bigger picture questions so it doesn't become just them pitching their agency or their latest project i mean that's the biggest that's the biggest pitfall is when you get someone on who's got something new and they just blab about that new thing and they won't go off script uh and hopefully you find interesting people and people who are willing to answer questions that they maybe haven't been asked before or get personal a little bit um of, of uh, the of those um of the people you interviewed mm -hmm. who would you say kind of blew you away and if you were 
you had to choose one to work for, <laughs> who would it be? Uh, with. Well, you are you are you are uh, you're going to Edelman, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like Richard. He's always fun to talk to. Um, he he does stay a little on message with his whatever he's working on. Um, yeah, that makes sense. But he's also like he's pretty candid. He'll um, and he's forthright and he's funny. Uh, he's a little idiosyncratic. I he's likable. I like him. Um, uh, so I, I, I'm picking him because uh, you're gonna go work for him, cheap, and though. he might he might listen to this. Uh, <laughs> hi, Richard, if you're listening. Um, uh, I, that's a tough one because I'm gonna say something, and then tomorrow I'm gonna wake up and say like, "Oh no, I should have said so and so." Um, there are a lot. There are there are a lot of good ones. I enjoy talking to David Droga. I enjoy talking to um uh i need to go back there are there are two i enjoy the people who are not necessarily household names in the industry there are two women i spoke with who run an agency called verb um uh yadira and shannon they were wonderful and they talked a lot about the the sort of the multicultural landscape and their challenges as black women running an agency and that was a great uh conversation and then you know uh, I've interviewed Sir Martin a couple times and he's very, it's like wrestling an oiled snake trying to talk to him. No <laughs> but way. that's like, that's like fun. Like, cause he like, you'll ask him one question and he'll answer for an hour and a half. Um, I liked, uh, so I would say I liked talking to him, but it was an interesting challenge. Um, Goodby was amazing to interview. Um, Aaron Walton, who runs in, Walton Isaacson out in LA was great to interview. He told, great stories he told even better stories when the mic was off and i can i ask you about that and he was like not on the record no um, <laughs> um and it was more about you know rich antonello who runs complex he was he's fun to, to talk to always um yeah these are great it's just a great list of people yeah if you can get me in contact that'd be awesome <laughs> <laughs> but um all right, so I want to wrap up the ad age section. Um, yep. You know, you. When did you leave? It was recent, April. Uh, end of April. Yeah. Uh, the powers of B and I uh, were no longer seeing eye to eye. It was time to go our separate ways. Okay. Yeah, I remember listening to that episode, and I was sad, but. Um, yeah, I was sad uh, for a minute. Now I'm I'm pretty good. Now you're ready to rock and roll with yeah. new, something new and yeah. anything you want to talk about what you're doing now. What's sure. What's, I mean, I you're looking like, well, so I have something that I can't talk about yet. Sure. Um, but I am, uh, uh, I guess you could say starting a business, but I can't get into that. Um, I, uh, also am doing a fair amount of consulting. Um, not sure my clients would love me saying who they are, but, uh, everything from tech platforms to other publishers, I'm less interested in sitting down and writing stories and freelancing for people because I feel like I've done that for 20 years and the amount of work you put into it, uh, is not commensurate with what you make, <laughs> um, per story or per word. Uh, so I'm, I'm more senior than that now. And I'm, uh, 
working on calm strategies, sure. writing white papers, um, uh, helping marketing divisions, content strategy, that kind of thing. It's, uh, I, I'm, uh, someone else I enjoy talking to is Rashad Tabakawala. He was until recently the dire director of strategy for publicist group, like giant job, mm -hmm. uh, big brain guy. And I was actually speaking to him recently and he was talking about optionality. Like you gotta have an optionality. You gotta do like, you know, if one thing doesn't pan out, you've got three other things going. And so, uh, optionality. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a jargony word, but I liked it. Uh, and he he's very bright, obviously, and he's fun to talk to. Um, and uh, uh, I'm I'm exercising my optionality at the moment. Yeah, that's a good word. I'm gonna have to. Use <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Don't use it. Okay. It's a little. Um, it's a little. It's a little. You know. It's a little made up, but I like it. Yeah, it makes sense what um so let's get into some you know what advice do you have for the younger generation now um you have an extensive career you still have an extensive career you you've had a lot of jobs a lot yeah. of careers i'm sure you've learned the to do's and what not to do's at each eight at each publication or uh paper so what, what have you learned? You know, what can you boil down from your career so far to students who are entering <laughs> journalism world today? I, I think that's a hard one because I, if I were to do it, like, you know, if I were to do it all over again, I don't know that I would do it exactly the way I, I did it, knowing what I know now. Um, but I do think temperament is so crucial. I think talent is important, but it can be learned. Um, if you're willing to learn and you're willing to practice, I think you have to be open to feedback. I think you have to be willing to fail. Um, I think you know, having, I've been laid off four times in my career and only once can I say, honestly, it was because I wasn't good at the job. Um, uh, but layoffs happen. So if you're going to get a layoff anyway, get laid off doing it the way you think you should be doing it. And, doing what you want to be doing. Don't operate out of a place of fear because um, layoffs happen and they're not reflective of who you are as a person. Um, be open. Be Don't be a dick. <laughs> it's a sure. big one. A, that's um, the best advice I think I've heard on the podcast <laughs> thus far. Don't, yeah, don't do that. Um, be open to feedback. Don't be stubborn. Don't be entitled know your worth um which is hard um, it. Be, assume it be fast if you can be even better be good uh at your you know and be kind love it what about um what would you do today if you just graduated and you were oh how would staring you at in, how would you break in right now to oh, journalism yeah well everyone every, uh, the, there's a big everyone's there's a big um newsletter moment uh substack is having a real moment uh i if i really wanted to get into journalism or writing today i would do a lot on my own i would start a newsletter on substack or whatever I, you know maybe a medium account i would 
start a podcast, you know, slightly more prohibit prohibitive in terms of the gear you need and, and startup costs. Yeah. Uh, but I would, I would find there are plenty of platforms for your voice and it's a way to get it out there. But I also would explore the traditional route. I would, I would exercise your optionality. Mm -hmm. I, <laughs> I would, I would, uh, pitch the big guys. I would, pitch the little guys and i would do it yourself awesome i think that there's a the the diy thing is is big i mean it's big and you see it in the comedy world too like people break out because they get they're hilarious on their own platform and then everyone wants them to join so it's the same thing with with journalism it's hard to break news as a nobody but it depends on what you want to accomplish is it breaking news is it telling stories is it reporting is it uh whatever it is you can do it on your own you have to be tolerant of zero audience for a long time but ultimately you'll have a catalog and keep um and then keep pitching the the, the major leagues and eventually someone uh will open the door or you'll hit a home run or you'll hit a home run nice slam dunk to mix my metaphors Nicely done. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, is it okay if I share your LinkedIn profile so our audience <laughs> can connect, uh, reach out to you? With any yes. Although I will, I will say that a, a couple of years ago, I accidentally twice um, <laughs> blanket email bombed my entire uh, contact uh, list with LinkedIn invites people, even people I had only emailed once. Uh, I think LinkedIn has probably changed their, uh, um, interface hopefully since then, but like I, it was very easy to accidentally enter email everyone, you know, and ask them to connect on LinkedIn. So I have like way too many LinkedIn connections. Well, what's the preferred <laughs> method to reach out then? No, you LinkedIn is fine, but like it's, it, it's all they're all they're a lot my dms are open okay. uh on on twitter i would say don't pitch me like i i'm not gonna okay. i'm not gonna, i'm not gonna cover whatever you're doing for anyone but if like you know you want to say hi that's fine okay <laughs> well it's good to know um <laughs> then i can share your social media profile too sure yeah then, yeah i appreciate you coming on great advice love hearing your story and you know just overall had a great time. Oh, thanks. Uh, I I feel like I babbled, but you know, no. That's what happens when you're alone in a room talking to a mic. I guess. No, no great <laughs> job. I appreciate it again. And uh, what's next for you? For me, well, yeah. I will be doing this podcast uh, until until I don't want to anymore. I guess, uh, you know, I, I run out. Of Sometimes you have to do it when you don't want to. And that's, the, that's my other piece of advice. There are days where you don't want to do it. You just got to do it. Well, I mean, I, right now I'm in this transition period between college and starting my career. And I have this gap and this time to do it. And I was like, let's do it. And I did yeah. it. You know, I don't know where I'm going to be in, you know, six months from now, but I'm planning right now to keep it, do, keep it going. I, I will say that nobody knows where they're going to be six months from now. And they, they never will know where they're going to be six months right. from now. Right. Well, that, that's what I got. All right. 
Well, good luck. I hope uh, Edelman is everything you hope and dream it is. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. All right. Well, thank you again. Thanks for having me, Gino. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Breaking and Entering podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, this was Brian Breaker. I was a huge fan of his, still am. I'm excited to see what he does in the future. Uh, so, Follow him, see what he's doing on social media. I'll put the links uh, below. But now I got to give a shout out to my guys, uh, Mikey Malarkey, the audio engineer, and Buchan Jung, the graphic designer. I can't do it without you guys, so thank you very much. Next week is a surprise, so stay tuned. Have a good one.